Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Don't you just love the Premier League? All the drama, all the ups and downs, the roller coaster ride we can't get enough of, and that's just a transfer window. The season kicks off in a couple of days' time, and we'll be with you every step of the way here on Football Social Daily, an award winning podcast bringing you the latest news and opinion from the top flight of English football. But before we can focus on the action on the pitch, there's been a fair bit happening off of it. New Nottingham Forest goalkeeper Dean Henderson has teed off on his parent club Manchester United, describing the last 12 months of his career as criminal and that there were a number of broken promises. For someone who wants to be number one at Old Trafford, have those spiky comments thrown his future at United into doubt. On the other side of Manchester City have handed their brightest young star a new deal. Phil Foden will pen terms at the Etihad until 2028, increasing his wages by seven times and making him one of the highest paid youngsters on the planet. And Chelsea are just about trying to sign everyone this summer, aren't they? A new era at Stamford Bridge with some new faces as well. But could there be more as a double hijack could be on the cards if you believe the press. All of that to come with me, Niall McCorn, on today's episode of Football Social Daily. And I'm in the company this morning of Joel Tudor and Ian Brannan, who's back from his summer holidays. How was it, Ian? Yeah, it was lovely. It was like over in a flash as these things go. But uh, yeah, had a lovely time. Went to Majorca and uh, arrived on the hottest day of the year in Majorca. And uh, it was exactly like uh, Wolverhampton the week prior, uh, so I'd, I was acclimatised. You being a Leeds fan, you're not one of these Leeds fans, a typical Leeds fan that takes a Leeds United towel with them <laughs> and Leeds United's flip-flops <laughs> and Leeds United uh, swimming shorts by any chance. Uh, no. I, do you know what? I, I own very limited amount of Leeds United fashion wear. Uh, I, do, I do have a shirt <laughs> from um, not last season, the season before, um, which has, has got my name on the back. Um, but that was that was that was a that was a gift for my birthday, and it's got like forty two on. So from the year when I was forty two, oh, no. so it actually is actually making me younger than, oh, than no. I should be. Uh, but no, I, I haven't got a massive amount of Leeds tat. I'm, uh, I mean, you go to certain parts of Leeds, uh, then of course you know people will have their curtains, their uh, their front lawn, everything uh, branded up. But um, but <laughs> yeah, not for me. I mean, where I am at this moment in time, I'm at our studios in Newcastle. Which, uh, as you'll know, is is literally next to St James's Park. You can see St James's Park yes. out, of the, out of the window there, and I can tell you that um, for their opening fixture this weekend, they've got Forest, haven't they? I think um, a big paint job. I don't know what they've been doing in the uh, in, in the transfer market particularly, but I can tell you that the new owners have certainly been uh, splashing the cash on the Dulux. There's um, a lot of paint gone on the walls, like limestone coloured around the ground. All painted black now. Yeah, and they've uh, uh, so, cleaned the windows as well, which has been twelve yeah. years in the waiting on the back of the Gallagher end. I noticed yeah, that when the, I went uh, up there. And the Shearer's bar is back, so um, certainly there's been investment there 
I say a lot of cans of paint have been spent. I don't know if they bought any strikers or whatever they got, but yeah, um, money money in for the for the paint suppliers of Newcastle United. It's been a good summer for them. Well, I'm glad you mentioned St James's Park because this weekend, incidentally, that's where Nottingham Forest begin their first Premier League campaign for 23 years. And standing between the sticks at one of those ends for the first half when that game kicks off will be Dean Henderson. The Manchester United goalkeeper is on loan at Nottingham Forest, but he's conducted a pretty explosive interview, Joel, with different broadcasters and some of the things he were coming at, was coming out with pretty concerning or, depending on the way you read this, quite open and quite honest and quite refreshing. That's what some people are saying. Be interested to get your take as a United fan. He says he's wasted 12 months of his career. He, of course, was second choice. David De Gea was brilliant last season for Manchester United. His words, criminal at my age to spend a season not playing football. He says he was made promises by Manchester United about being the first-choice goalkeeper. Those promises weren't fulfilled. Lots of things he's come out with here in this interview which have ruffled a few feathers. What do you think? I think some of his comments are very valid, but I think some of his comments are absolutely delusional. Um, Pretty borderline naive, if I'm honest. I think there's a big, big... A, a, a very fine line, should I say, between confidence and arrogance, and I think it's majority of the latter, if I'm honest. Um, I'm sure for part of his comments, you know, where he talks about the empty promises um, of being a starter in the United side, I can understand that because, you know, Jesse Lingard, I think, had a similar circumstance of refusing to go to West Ham last summer because he was made promises. But what promises do you even get in football? I just don't understand that line because unless you're, you know, a prime Oliver Kahn who's just come back from a, a loan deal and you're giving assurances that you will be the number one next season, I just don't understand his angle because he's achieved absolutely nothing in the game. And when you're up against David De Gea, who's recently just been voted as United's player of the season, um, been there for 10 years, of course, it's going to be a difficult task to come in. But some of his comments were... Honestly, in my opinion, absolutely delusional. Which because, ones? Which ones in particular would you describe? Well, as especially the, the one—the one that I would absolutely pick out—is when he said he didn't want to trade in front of the manager because he knew that he'd want to keep him. Yet he hadn't even spoken to him. So apparently, he knows better than Ten Hag. He knows what he's thinking and feeling about the, the goalkeeper situation. He, he apparently thinks of himself as good enough to take that number one spot. Yet doesn't want to even speak to the new manager about what's going to happen next season. For me, I just think as though if he's that sure he should be number one, go and speak to him. But apparently he clearly knows what he's thinking. He already knows best best or better than the manager. And he's talking as if he's a sure fit for the number one spot. For me, it's just, it's, it's delusional. If that's the case, then you stay and you take what's yours then. Because even if a manager at the start of the season says to you as a goalkeeper, you you are going to be my number one, I think. Let's say you have a run of five dodgy games. Do you think those promises are going to be upheld? Because it won't happen in football. It's a very cutthroat sport. There's no guarantees in football, is there? No, especially as a goalkeeper when all eyes are on you for Manchester United. I mean, last season when he had a few chances, he didn't pull up strings massively. I remember against Liverpool, he was really poor in terms of his positioning. Um, and I just think as though he's, he sounds very, very naive in believing that he's better than what we've all seen of him. So I just think for a player who is still a Man United employee, by the way, he's still contracted at United to be this explosive, you know, saying the likes of he really wanted to play United next season as if, you know, he's completely water under the bridge. 
I think it's very, very revealing, to be honest. And all those leaks that were coming out last season in terms of, you know, the way the dressing room is and the way he was, he sounded very pretty annoyed and angry during this interview. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of them have come to, come from him because when you're still employed at your club, I don't think you'll find many players who are on loan and would talk about their club like that. Especially when you look at Gareth Bale, for example, he never spoke about Real Madrid once and he had so many issues there. So for me, it's just very naive and borderline delusional, to be honest. And if I'm honest, I'm glad that he's got his move. That's the thing for me, the fact that he's speaking in this interview as if he's already left Manchester United, where at the moment it is just a loan deal at Nottingham Forest. I mean, the way he was speaking, as you say, Joel, makes it sound like he's kind of done and dusted with the club. He's severed ties. His time there is done. But, you know, it it certainly isn't the case. It is just a loan move. And what he was saying... Ian about being made promises about being first choice which weren't fulfilled he was first choice he did displace David De Gea from that number one position two seasons ago ended up unfortunately for him contracting Covid it took him a long time to recover from Covid and by that point he had lost the number one spot but is that not just football is that not just how the game goes the fact that you know there is going to be instances where you get injured and someone comes in to replace you and you're going to find it hard to get your spot back yeah, I'm, I I wonder or question why you would, as a as a club, ever promise someone that they would always be number one, you know, from the outset. Unless, as you say, you're a world beater, you're a you know you're you're a World Cup winner, or or you know, I don't know. Say like Erling Haaland, for example. Yeah. You know, clearly talented. He's got that. You know, you're spending hundreds of millions on him overall. You're going to be my main striker this you, you season. Can, yeah, you can go to him and you could say to him, yeah, absolutely, you will be first choice because because he deserves it because you know that he, he's going to be your first choice anyway because he's an absolutely brilliant player. Whereas with this, you know, you look at the stats. He's He signed a professional contract with Manchester United in 2015. Since then... Since 2015, he's played 29 times for Manchester United. And that just tells you everything you need to know. There's only that one season that you mentioned that where he's actually played in the Premier League and then he played 13 matches. Uh, and then, as he say, he got COVID and, and, and so forth. That was 13 matches in the Premier League. And that's the only time he's ever played in the Premier League is that season, 2020-2021. Never played in the Premier League since. Not even once. Not even as a sub or whatever. He's, he's done cup games. He's done EFL games. He's going to have to have a bloody good year on loan at Nottingham Forest to bail himself out of this if he wants to play for Manchester United ever again. Because, I mean, you know, what he's said is is terminal. Um, carrying on like that, going to Ten Hag, well, what, you know, why should I bother training him? Because he's, he's, there's going to be no way he's going to be able to resist me if he sees me. What? <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, it's just it's like... unbelievable. What? There are some people that say, Ian, that this is quite refreshing. At least he's actually speaking his mind. And he could have just sat there and kept Stum and not said a single thing. But he's actually kind of having this outpouring of emotion. It's probably not the most professional thing to do. And we'll come on to what you mentioned about their future for him at Old Trafford after these comments. We'll come on to that in a sec. But just generally about the fact that this is not what we're used to seeing from footballers. We're not used to them being this open. So can you understand why some people are saying, well, actually, I'm quite refreshed by his by his comments? Yeah, well, and there's a reason that you don't see this kind of stuff. It's because it's in their contract <laughs> that, that, that they can't go out slagging the club off. You know, we, we work for radio stations. It's in our contracts that we don't go slagging off our employers. You know, it's, it's just kind of common decency. 
and and that, that if you do go slagging them off, then you you know what to expect. So I think this is a calculated uh, move in a way. He's he's out of the um, frying pan of of Manchester United. He's away at Nottingham Forest. Probably feels Billy Big Balls there because you know he's 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 uh, being treated as a number one and and all that kind of thing. Um, and he knows that he, maybe he wants to get out of his contract. Maybe that's it. Maybe that you know that he's trying to unsettle himself so that they, they tear the contract up and then Nottingham yeah. Forest can steam. I don't know. It, it just seems but, I mean, stupid. He, he's at Forest, <laughs> isn't he? And yeah. there's no guarantees, and we talk about no guarantees of him being, you know, um, cemented in the number one position at Manchester United when he claims that's what was promised to him. There's no guarantees Nottingham Forest are going to stay up in the Premier League. No, I mean, exactly. That's their aim, and he's and gone to a to club him. that will be in a relegation <laughs> fight. We all think exactly, and that's going to be down to him. You know, he's going to find out very quickly what life is like in the Premier League. As I say, he, he didn't play in the Premier League at all last season. He, he played in the Premier League in the COVID year when there was no crowd there. And of course, he, he was on that... loan at Sheffield United before, wasn't he, from Manchester Yeah, exactly. United, but that's that, kind of where he made his name. Yeah, and, and he, had a, he had a decent season then, or he had a, he had a spell where he was pretty good. He wasn't bomb-proof every, every week. Let's not let's not be wrong, you know, get it wrong there. Yeah. I mean, he's clearly unhappy with life at Old Trafford and he's only on loan at Forest currently. We've made that clear right throughout this chat. But is there any future at Manchester United after what he said? Should there be any future, Joel? Because there's some serious flack that he's throwing the club's way. And listen, Manchester United are used to this sort of stick that they get from players that have left or fans or whatever it might be because a club of that magnitude is naturally going to attract attention and you do see this sometimes in football but it seems to me unlikely that any club after having this sort of attack on them from a player verbally like this would ever entertain them playing for the football club again. Well, prior to this interview, I would say I would have said yes. Let's see how his forest loan goes. After this, absolutely not. It's done. It's completely over. Imagine Ten Hag seeing these comments now, thinking that a player knows how he's thinking about another player already. So he thought, oh, I'll just jump the gun and leave because I know how the manager's going to think and feel about me. It's absolutely ridiculous. So, and what's if... the plan here then, from a United perspective? Do they make a make an attempt to speak to Dean Henderson and say, what are you playing at? Do they just leave it and try and brush it under the carpet and deal with the situation when it gets to the end of the season? Or do they just say, you're out? He's playing like a hard-to-get date. You can't contact and he gives you like eight-hour distances (laughs) and replies when you actually message them. This is what he's playing like. And I think... I think for United, their perspective is let's hope that his stock rises again because obviously the last time it was high was when he had that great season with Sheffield. They finished eighth. Probably should have stayed on loan, to be fair, the next season. Um, But he's living off that season. And I think now that his stock's pretty much at an all-time low, they're going to be hoping he has an absolutely amazing season at Forest, replicates how he was at Sheffield. Um, I think that prior to doing the interview, he 100% may have had some kind of chance but if we all remember when Richard Arnold did that candid speech to those Manchester United fans and they asked him with regards to the leaks what have you done about it do you know who it was he said that whoever it was has left the club now so they clearly knew who it was I think this loan was pretty much them cementing him as gone as a United player to be honest but no club wanted to commit to a, a permanent deal so if we remember as well you know the Lukaku interview 
when he was flirting with the Italian media. These interviews do not go down well at clubs at all because they, they just show to everyone else at the club you are at that you just don't respect what's going on there. You don't respect your employers. And in any walk of life, it doesn't go down well if you start going against the people who are paying your salary. So um, I think it's not going to happen next season. And hopefully he has a great season so United can recoup. I think I don't know if there's a 20 million option to buy in there. I don't know if they agreed it at the very end. But regardless, if he has a good season, he's an English goalkeeper. They're going to be sought after if he has a good season. So best of luck to him, but not at Manchester United because he's cut the ties himself. And... Whatever he might think personally, whatever any footballer thinks personally, I mean, you know, we, we, we all kind of try and second guess what's going on with Cristiano Ronaldo. But he don't start blabbing off, does he? You know, that's because he's got advisors, agents around him and they manage these situations out. And yeah, things might not be um, all right necessarily privately, but you don't go to the papers or the media yeah. about it. You just talk, you're torching your career. and you Well, ha- no, it's the, it's the interview you do after you've left a club that hasn't worked out at, which is absolutely what's exactly. the case and, at Manchester and, United. He's left Manchester United and it hasn't worked out there, but he's only on loan. I know, he's but only on loan. He's got people around him. Surely he must have. And you know how it is with these interviews. If, if you have an interview with a player, they've always got somebody with them or some advisor or someone from the club or, or whoever mm. you would think who knows that they're going to be doing this. You don't usually just ring the player direct and get them to come in. You know, yeah. you usually go through some hoops to get it approved before you get someone like that on. Maybe that has yeah. happened, but it, um, pr- probably it shouldn't have happened, though. So there's questions to be asked here of how this has been allowed to, to come out. And yes, it's refreshing and fans will think it's refreshing. But I think from a PR point of view, mm. it's an absolute burning skip fire. And um, there's no way out of it for him. Well, I can I can tell you that all fans apart from Manchester United fans have found this refreshing I think oh yeah <laughs> it's I mean, unlikely there is that. that they're let's, going to be very yeah. happy with what's been said <laughs> yeah let's let's not uh, let's yeah let's let's not uh, lose sight of that Dean Henderson hits out at Manchester United in an interview which you can hear on social media it's been doing the rounds um will he ever play for Manchester United again we don't know but he will be playing for Nottingham Forest as their Premier League season starts this weekend away at Newcastle Certainly less ripples and rumours at Manchester City, that's for sure. Although the latest news is that Phil Foden has extended his contract at the club. The young star is set to stay for another six years. We'll talk about it after this here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. If you hit subscribe or follow or whatever it might be on whichever platform you're listening to this show on, you will be notified as soon as a new episode is ready. And we'll be back from Sunday right throughout the course of the Premier League season on a daily basis. So you won't miss any of the news when it comes to the English top flight. So make sure you do that. You can also follow us on our new Twitter page which is at FSD pod I'm Niall I've got Joel and Ian alongside me and we're going to talk about Manchester City now where the newspapers are reporting that Phil Foden has signed a contract extension at the Etihad Stadium a deal which is set to run until 2028 that's a long deal the wages are increased significantly as well Joel 
he's clearly key to the future of Manchester City. And you can understand why, because the way he's been managed by Pep Guardiola since his first game four or five years ago has been exceptional. And he's really started to grow into one of the most important players in that City squad. Yeah, it's funny when you mention about how he's been eased into that City side, because I do remember around three or four years ago when he was just the coming into the first team you know how those youth players come into the first team they get like five minutes here 10 minutes at the end of the game maybe a half an hour in the FA Cup and when I was watching him I think everyone was making the same observation which is he's not going to get a chance under Guardiola there's too many good players in front of him he's going to sign you know a 50 million pound player which is going to stay in the side he's going to get 10 minutes every game but this is the kind of situation that Dean Henderson should be looking at which is if you're good enough you play and with Phil Foden he's forced himself into the side took his chance at every opportunity he's got and he's basically earned his deal hasn't he really I didn't realize he was well relatively speaking when I talk about footballers salaries I want to talk relatively because only 30k is not only 30k a week but um, it's a massive massive increase because I think they've got the money out of him the value for money out of him um, in the last few years since the last deal he signed, but he's he, he looks he's the type of player who has such a unique playing style. I think I remember Wilshire. I know it was very short lived, but the way in which he played it's just a very rare style of play which you can't find everywhere. Um, and I think Guardiola really likes the fact he's super versatile along that front three. He scored some really important goals for them um, during their title wins, and now he's a pretty much firm, a permanent player in that front line, which for City is pretty incredible considering, as we've known, since Guardiola's come in, he's basically changed the whole team around, got rid of everyone, brought in a whole new side. He has unlimited funds available, and yet a player from the academy is one of his best players. Um, and I think you have to give credit to to Guardiola for that, to be honest, because I know that everyone's thought of him as, and I, and I know he still is, to be fair. Whenever he wants a left back, he'll go and pay fifty million rather than looking into their youth academy. But at every single club he's been at, he has brought through the best youth talents at every club. I mean, when you look at Bayern Munich, for example, Joshua Kimmich was the talented player coming through at Bayern, and now he's absolutely one of the world's best players by an absolute mile. Barcelona, I mean, that speaks for itself, doesn't it? Xavi Iniesta, Messi. Um, Busquets, yeah. Yeah, Busquets, there's, there's so many to name. And then obviously at City, Phil Foden has been, you know, maybe there should have been more because I know City's youth system is very, very, very talented. I mean, you only have to look at the outgoings there, you know, 15 million to Southampton for one player, 16 million. Um, and then you had Angelino who went to, Leipzig for I think 18 million from the youth academy they've got a very good academy there um so it's a shame that he's not given more chances but Phil Foden is the standout talented player at the club and in the youth system um so yeah yeah I think you do have to give credit to to City and to Guardiola for that I totally agree because I seem to remember Guardiola getting no end of stick three or four years ago and reporters saying that he's mismanaged Foden and he needs to send him out on loan or give him more game time and it's not really helping his development. And look at him now, you know, he's 22 and he's just signed a contract extension with a salary seven times more than what he was on before. Ian, it was 30 grand a week, which I'm sure any of us would happily take as a living, but it's now worth 225,000 a week, which means he becomes one of the highest paid youngsters or at least players under the age of 23 in world football 
And is it fair to say, considering he's been, I think, the winner of the PFA Young Player of the Year award in the Premier League for the last two seasons, that he's probably earned the right to sign a bumper deal worth that much? Yeah, I guess um, he's certainly showing that he's got that. It's following through on the potential, isn't it? Because we can talk about players and, oh, you know, he's got the potential. He could be this, he could be that. And how many times do we see these players, you know, them fall by the wayside and they don't fulfil their potential? that they've shown in the in the youth ranks and you know there's plenty of players that come through with a massive buzz and they're, they're going to be the next this and that and and they really don't kick on to that next level because I think there's also um you know there's luck uh, of course involved but there's also dedication and skill and I think as some players get a little bit older um they can be distracted and I think that's true for any sport they can be distracted take their eye off the off the game literally and um and external influences you know get a bit of money in the pocket and and start living the dream a bit so that money that huge money they're paid is partly to compensate for the fact that they don't have a normal life you know they're not like you and I they can't just go out or have a curry or go on a an all-night drinking sesh at the drop of a hat if they wanted to, unless you know, you're Jack that, Grealish, well, unless you're Jack Grealish, yeah. in which case, you know, that's that's why he's worth what he is because he can uh, multitask. Um, so, <laughs> but um, but you know, I mean, it's, it does compensate for that, and their, their career, of course, is short. They're probably going to be retired by the time they're, you know, whatever forty or or less, and uh, so th- there is that. But of course, the the amounts of money they're being paid are more than many people will earn in in, in ten years of, of of work, perhaps in in some respects. So. Looking at that offer of the contract there, it goes until 2028, quite a while off. Would I say that Phil Foden is a 225k a week footballer now? No, uh, I don't think he is. But over the course of the next four or five years, he could be, right? And so Man City have got to ward off now. And I think, you know, the, these clubs are getting richer and richer um as we're seeing you know that the, the money now is is limitless in in some places but they have to do something to put other clubs off and to make a player not only expensive on a on a transfer fee but expensive to to own in in, in terms of paying them ridiculous money every week it, it puts people off um and and that's what they want to do what they don't want to do is have a player who is on 30 grand a week and someone comes steaming in and go right well here's 100 grand a week and he goes yep off i go uh, so they've got to they've got to look after him, and they've got to treat him alongside, you know, his peers that are there. You know, if he's performing at the same level, why shouldn't he? If they're, if they're paying two hundred grand to to all the other players in the squad um, that he's playing with regularly, and he's at that level now, then why shouldn't he get it? But I think it's it seems to me to be partly to to ward off the threat, but also keep him happy for now, um, and uh, and also with a, val- a view to the future value uh, that he might be worth in in, in a year or two. Um, just to sort of hedge that off. They can always give him more if he ends up being, needing to be worth more. Uh, similarly, they can always sell him if, if, he, if it turns out to be a nightmare for whatever reason. So, there's, you know, there's nothing ultimately mega lost there, but it's great for him. Um, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't mind 225. I'd just do his job for a week. Yeah, the week week in the middle of this in the middle of the summer when they're on holiday in Barbados. <laughs> uh, that week. <laughs> I mean, I guess with this extended contract, the vision is him being at Manchester City, Joel, beyond the Pep Guardiola reign. And it's quite hard to imagine Manchester City without Pep Guardiola as their manager. But there will be some point in the future, and I would argue it will be within the next six years, which is the length of this Phil Foden contract, that Pep Guardiola does move on and decides to leave Manchester City behind him. And so Phil Foden will be 
an important asset to Manchester City in the years ahead, in the years beyond Guardiola. Is that something you agree with? Yeah, I think so for sure. I can't see Guardiola doing a Ferguson kind of 20-year stint at City. I think it will come to an end, you know, within the next five years, I would say. Um, But Foden's going to be the type of player who is going to be a club legend there. He'll never leave. And I think City are banking on that, and clearly they are with the the contract length that they've given him as well. Um, I think they just they've just got really lucky, but it's not luck; it's the luck that they've made themselves. I don't want to get into you know kind of where the money's come from and stuff, but the foundations that have been built by the owners um, in terms of the facilities, in terms of youngsters turning to Manchester City instead of many other youth academies, is why they get is why they're able to develop such talents and create such talents like Foden. Um, so for the future, I think it looks good for them because they're creating a pretty good sustainable foundation and Foden will 100% out, not outlive, but um, outlive the stay at City than Guardiola will. So it will be interesting to see, but the foundations have been set for Guardiola. The foundations have basically been there for them now. After he goes, they'll play the same way. They'll probably bring players through in a similar way. Um, and I think Guardiola brings through young players in, in the right way as well because I think some clubs, namely Manchester United, they get a bit excited when a young player comes through that looks really good. They play him every week. They burn him out a little bit. They start focusing on him as the guy who should lead the line and you know be the focal point. Whereas with Foden, he's been eased in very, very slowly and now they've reaped the rewards because he's not been overplayed at all. Um, and he's played in some of the biggest games in football. So they, they, they've managed him to an absolute T, I think, and they're obviously gaining the rewards from it. So, yeah, I think he will be there beyond Guardiola. Who who that will be, God knows who. Um, hopefully it will be quite soon because I can't stand him at the moment, and we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a massive coup for City, and, I mean, why would he want to be anywhere else at the moment? It's one of the biggest and most successful projects in football at the moment, and he'd be stupid to leave. Phil Foden is set to sign a new deal at Man City. That's what the newspapers are reporting. Six-year deal, 2028. It runs up until increasing his salary by seven times. Um, If you're listening, the bosses of Football Social Daily, uh, if you fancy raising all of our salaries by seven times, I'll definitely be up for it. Um, We're going to talk more transfers next because the Premier League transfer window has been an interesting one this summer, to say the least. And with only a few days to go until the start of the new campaign, there could be some more moving and shaking happening before that first ball is kicked. We'll talk about it after this. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. This is Football Social Daily, a daily Premier League podcast from Sports Social and an award-winning podcast at that. So if you like what you're hearing, this is your first time here, hit subscribe and that way you won't miss an episode. New shows every day right throughout the season. And it's a season which starts in just a couple of days, Friday night. Selhurst Park is the venue as Crystal Palace entertain Arsenal in the curtain raiser for the 22-23 top flight season. But could we see some moving and shaking before them? New faces all around all around the Premier League, up and down the land. And we're going to start right at the northeast, as far far northeast as you can go in the Premier League, and that's Newcastle United, who have been obviously interesting to watch in the transfer market because of the amount of money they now have behind them with the Saudi Arabian ownership. And they have had a £50 million bid rejected 
for James Madison by Leicester City. They went in with a 40 million. That was rejected. They've gone back with a 50 million, Ian. That's been rejected. Um, Leicester City haven't signed any players this transfer window. They're the only Premier League club not to sign a single player so far this window. And to lose one of their influential and probably most important players in James Madison would be a big blow before the start of the campaign. Can you understand why Leicester have said no thanks to attempting 50 million from Newcastle? Yeah, and you kind of wonder if, if Newcastle had gone in a bit lower that if they'd have you know, stopped going up 40, thinking that, well, you know, by the time they got to 50, they might think that's a decent deal. Um, but they, they have got no money, uh, Leicester, for, for a transfer budget. So anything that they, anyone they buy has to be funded by someone they sell, from what I'm reading. Um, they're valuing him at 60 million, uh, which is, is what Leicester want for him. So they're holding out for that. They know that Newcastle's coffers are pretty unlimited. Um, this is this is the problem Newcastle are going to have now. You know, uh, if this was Newcastle of old, if it's Mike Ashley rocking up there with uh, you know capping and fifty million, you wonder if the negotiation might have been slightly different. But now they know they've got absolute boatloads of money. Um, there's no question that they can afford it if they really want to. Um, and so you know that is uh, that is going to be a thing for Newcastle going forward. They're going to get fleeced by everybody. It's just how it's going to be, uh, because everybody knows they are absolutely minted. Um, so if they want Madison, ultimately, they'll probably get him. I mean, that said, obviously, the, the money that Newcastle supposedly have is theoretical to an extent, because it's a fund that covers so many different investments. It's not all Newcastle's money. They have access to it, and the people behind it are the you know very, very rich. But how much is given to, to Newcastle? I think Newcastle will still have a budget to work with from that fund. Um, because if that was the, if it wasn't the case, Newcastle would have gone out and just bought who they wanted, wouldn't they? No. So there must be there must be some kind of limit. Yeah. I mean, if you if you're Newcastle and you've, and you've got limits and you're 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 a squillionaire, right? And you've got more money than you can shake a stick at, and you're worth more than all of the football clubs in the world, which is what Newcastle United fans will will tell you that how much money they've got is just absolutely limitless you wouldn't have had a summer where you've signed nobody and you're looking at James Madison so there must be there must be a budget yeah and of course as you mentioned you know Newcastle fans are going to have to get used to this clubs are going to try and hold out because it's so obvious that they do have cash behind them and we know there's a real rebuild of sorts happening at Newcastle United um, as for Leicester City, James Madison got 20 goal involvements last season. He started the season really slowly, Joel. In fact, he didn't get a single goal or assist before mid-October. And then after mid-October, he was their best player. And he ended up becoming their top goal scorer and top assister during last season. So there's no doubting his quality and his ability. Better numbers than Grealish last season in terms of output. Um, fans that say, oh, it's 50 million is a good price for Madison. Is it the age old, well, he's worth more than 50 million to Leicester. So if they want him, they'll have to pay what Leicester are happy to accept. I'm trying to wonder who would be the bigger loss for Leicester out of Fafana and Madison. And well, of course, yeah, because Fafana has been um, talked about as potentially leaving the club as well, which is, a, which is a big deal for Leicester if they lost both of those players during the summer. I think it'll be one or the other with those two. I think it'd be way too detrimental to the next season I feel like they could be end up relegation candidates if he lost those two just because they are they're basically the the two catalyst players aren't they in their side I know it would raise a crazy amount of money for them but 
when you have someone like Madison who can guarantee goal involvements every single season, I think he would be a bigger loss to Leicester, to be honest. Um, because at least with the defence, you know, you can usually find a, a decent centre back who will bed in quite easily. Whereas trying to find a player who can come in and hit the ground running with goals and assists is, I think, is a much, much harder task. Um, but I think from Madison's perspective, he, as we mentioned on the last podcast, in terms of where Leicester are at, in terms of their ambition, I think he might be in the similar position to how Schmeichel's looking at it, which is, you know, I've done all I can at the club. I've proven that I can do it at the top level. Now, what's the next step for me? Because there was talk of Spurs also being interested. But is Newcastle that next step, though? I mean, that's the question. Is it? Some would say it's a sideways step because Newcastle obviously... I mean, uh, Newcastle aren't going to finish in the top six. I mean, come on. I know they've got all this money and some people are saying, oh, they might finish in the Europa Conference. They're not going to finish in the top six, though, are they? Which is, let's face it, that's what Leicester want to do. They want to finish in the Europa League spots. And if Madison is going to take a step forward in his career, it's surely going to be a couple of years before Newcastle are, are again up there. I might be proven wrong, but I can't see it at this point. So... You know, would a big six club be a better choice for him with a World Cup on the horizon as well? I'm sure he'll want to get into that England squad. Yeah, I think honestly, it's a case of players just buying into the project, isn't it? Because I remember when Manchester City got taken over and they managed to get the likes of Robinho and David Silva and Yaya Torre when they weren't really in the position in the league to actually go for those kinds of players. Obviously, you know, their, their meteoric rise for City is ridiculous how they did it because their recruitment was incredible. But with Newcastle, it will be a case of buying into the project because, I mean, just look at Sven Botman, for example. He could have easily have gone to Milan, champions of Italy, now in Champions League, and he turned them down to go to Newcastle. Obviously, the money's probably a nice sweetener in that kind of deal. But if you look at the where, if you look at where Newcastle are going compared to Leicester, I think it's a pretty much no-brainer at the moment in terms of where you'd rather be because players know that Newcastle's owners have a vision of being, you know, in the top four in the next maybe three to five years. Whereas with Leicester, can you really say the same? Because if Brendan Rodgers goes in the next two years, I would worry for them, to be honest, because the recruitment hasn't been the same as it was when they signed the likes of Mares and Kante a few years ago. It's been pretty poor, in all honesty. I think Fafana's probably been the one um, player who's been the, 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 the shine-out player. Everyone else who they've paid big bucks for, like Slimani, Daka, who hasn't really shone as he should have done. These are all big, big outlays that they've paid for. So if I was Madison, I'd be thinking he'd want to move on. Right now, at face value, I agree with you. I think Newcastle is definitely a sideward step. But after next season and in the next two to three years, it definitely won't be, that's for sure, because the clubs are in two different lanes in terms of where they want to go. Um, but again, I think Leicester are far, far entitled to ask for what they want for Madison because it's very hard to find players who can get that many goals and assists in the Premier League week in, week out. So I think 50 or 60 million is probably where Leicester are going to be looking at to even get to the table. Talking of clubs that are in two different lanes, some more transfer news to bring you, and that is that Arsenal goalkeeper Bernd Leno has swapped North London for West London. And 
A return to the Premier League for Fulham has seen them sign the former Arsenal goalkeeper. Of course, Ramsdale is the preferred number one for Mikel Arteta at the Emirates Stadium and Bernd Leno has dropped to second choice. So he's decided to jump ship and join Fulham. So just bringing you that piece of transfer news. Also a really interesting one, and we're going to focus on Chelsea now for the rest of the podcast, is that they've signed Aston Villa's 18-year-old Carney Chukwameka for 20 million quid. I mean... We'll come on to some of the other potential signings that Chelsea could make, Ian, in a second. But to sign an 18-year-old from Villa for that price, who does have some Premier League experience, and he did look bright, actually, under Steven Gerrard in the games he did play last season. Is this a signing with a view to the future, or do you think he's going to come in at 18 and become immediately a part of the first team? Because he was at Aston Villa. Yeah, I'm not sure, (laughs) to be honest. Um, It'll be interesting to see. He's obviously been well thought of at Aston Villa, um, up until the point now where he's uh, joining um, Chelsea, uh, I, I find it. I think he's, he's unlikely. It might it might be in and around the first team, but I, I I sort of feel that he's likely to be more in the under you know the under twenty ones or under under twenty threes or whatever, isn't he? To get that experience and maybe he'll be around the first team to to you know see what happens and, and get that kind of um, I don't know culture I suppose of, of Chelsea and what goes on at the at the top level it, it looks to me like one for the future clearly is a talented lad um, and obviously best to get him now than in a couple of years when his price might be double um, they obviously see something in him um, I, I think that he might be a bit young yet for you know like goalkeepers tend to be a bit older don't they but you know that said you know Leeds' goalkeeper has, has done alright and he came in from France and he was like a young lad and has um you know, found his way pretty well. Might be a surprise. I don't know. These scouts and stuff have probably seen uh, a lot that that we haven't. Um, I guess time will tell. But I think in a team like Chelsea in particular, where, had he had he left, you know, we just mentioned Fulham there. Had he left um, Villa to go to Fulham, I would think, well, maybe there is something in that. You know, maybe they'll they'll chuck him in and and uh, see how he goes. But obviously, that's not the case. I think Chelsea, you know, it requires a lot of experience, doesn't it? The, the sort of matches they're going to be playing their expectation that they want to be challenging for trophies. They're going to be playing in, in top competitions. Hmm. Um, I think it's probably one for the future. I don't know. Might see him in some cup games, maybe. Uh, yeah. I don't think he's going to be starting at the weekend, no. No, I mean, 20 million is um, is quite a good fee, I think, for Villa to sell an 18-year-old with 12 months left. Yeah, it's a decent investment. It's obviously highly rated. Um, maybe, you know, there's a lot going on and other people are rumoured to be getting him and maybe he is, like, you know, the next yeah. big thing and, you know, get him now. Well, there's loads going on at Chelsea. This is a signing that we're pretty sure is going to go ahead. So Chukwameka will join Kalidou Koulibaly and Raheem Sterling, who are two big names on the European stage, by the way, that Chelsea have signed. We're hearing that Timo Werner could leave Chelsea in the next few days. Obviously, he signed for the club for £50 million from RB Leipzig. And a return to Leipzig is one of the touted destinations should he exit Stamford Bridge. Chelsea are also interested in Brighton's Mark Kukurea, who's handed in a transfer request amid interest from Manchester City. City have basically said, we're not paying you 50 million. We don't think he's worth 50 million. So sorry, Brighton, but the deal's off. I don't think Kukurea's too happy about that, but he could get his move to London and to Chelsea. So they're interested in that. They're also interested in potentially hijacking a move for Barcelona's Frankie de Jong, who we'd spoken about a number of times this summer. Joel has been a massive target for Manchester United and Eric Ten Hag desperately wants him at Old Trafford. We've seen them interested in Matisse de Ligt. We've seen so many different names linked with Chelsea 
it's been a pretty scattergun approach, if you ask me. Uh, what have you made of it? Because with Werner possibly leaving, Kukurea possibly coming in, De Jong possibly coming in, so many names being floated about in the newspapers, Chelsea really do seem to be busy in one way or another. It's just so erratic. It's the the best way I can describe it is when Ed Woodward first took over as um, the CEO at United in 2013 and he was trying to chase Fabregas, Bale, Ronaldo... Tony Crows, every single superstar on the planet. It was like they were trying to prove a point. And I feel like Todd Bowley has really, like you said, gone scattergun with this in terms of the way the, the approach, it just doesn't really make any sense to me because the names that you've just mentioned there, the profiles are all so different. When you go from Delict and um the likes of Jules Koundé to then Kukurea, who might be played as a, a left centre-back in a, in a three-man formation. It just, it seems very, very, like, non-coordinated in terms of what they're, how they're going about the business at the moment because it's been known for a while that they needed to sort out the defence because they pretty much lost the main soul of it with um, Rudiger and Christensen obviously leaving and Aspilicueta might be going as well to Barcelona. So they've needed a massive gutter-out job in that defence. And the profile just is all completely different to one another. I don't know if Kukurea is someone who has been gone for purely because Manchester City have gone for him, because I didn't see any links to him whatsoever prior to City actually going in for him. Um, he just seems very, very erratic. And again, with Timo Werner, I'd be... As a Chelsea fan, I think I would be very worried in terms of the recruitment because in the last few years, it has been pretty poor. When you look at you know the likes of Zayetchi, they signed for nearly 40 million, Timo Werner for 50 million, and now both of them, they're probably going to get you know half of the transfer fees if that. It's really disappointing. And Lukaku. Yeah, look, look, oh my God, he's the, the biggest example of the lot. Um, but I think that's one of the main areas that they're not even addressing because who's going to lead the line next season? I don't trust Kai Havertz to lead their line and score 15, 20 goals next season in the Premier League. I think Sterling's going to be the main one in that front line now. Uh, but Timo Werner, for me, has been so disappointing because I remember watching a couple of games when he was scoring so many goals for Leipzig in the in the Bundesliga and he's come over to England and completely gone two left feet, doesn't know where the goal is at all. He's shown glimpses, but it's not enough. Even Christian Pulisic, when you look at his statistics at Dortmund, he's great on the eye. I'm not a statistics type person. I kind of hate it, to be honest. He is a great player on the eye. But he was he was getting like four goals, three assists every season for Dortmund. And that warranted a £60 million transfer fee. It's just, it's pretty baffling the way in which Chelsea are operating at the moment. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how Tuchel gels it all together. Because right now, I just don't have a clue how their team's going to look next season. Um, but I just don't know where the goals are going to come from as well. And I think that's a major concern for them. Um, I think Raheem Sterling's probably going to be their, sh their knight in shining armour next season, probably their player of the season, if I'm honest, because he knows where the goal is usually. Um, I don't know if they're going to create enough chances for him, but it's, it's a very scatter, scattered approach. And I, I just don't feel as though there's a plan and a method involved in what's going on there. Well, let's just wrap this up on Chelsea then, Ian, because there's been a lot of changes, not only behind the scenes with the departure of Roman Abramovich and the takeover of the club by Todd Bowley, who seems to be the one that's sanctioning, sanctioning all of these transfers, by the way. 
uh, they've got rid of their technical director. Um, and there's also been the departure of Marina Granovskaya, the Russian who was pretty much heavily involved in Chelsea's transfer dealings. And it looks like Todd Bowley is the one that's taken a very hands-on approach as the owner now and doing all of the business himself. I mean, it's quite exciting in a way, but also, is it not dangerous? Do you not think that there's a little bit of undermining Thomas Tuchel in the in the approach, just going out and signing random players? Yes, um, and we've seen it a few times in the past with various clubs. It never ends well uh, when the owner gets excited and goes buying players, and uh, especially when those players turn out to be rubbish. Um, that's your problem because then the owner's like saying, well, um, you know, you should be playing this guy. I've, I've spent billions on him. And, uh, and and the manager's like going, I really don't think he's any good. And, and we've seen this, I think it was, well, Leeds United have done it in the past when what's-his-face was in charge, um, uh, Cellino, the Italian guy. And he, he was signing all sorts of weird players and, you know, then turning up in the dressing room and, and, and doing the team speech and all this kind of stuff. Oh, it. And, and obviously that never went well. Um, and we've seen it before, and, and other other clubs, like even Sunderland, um, have had that in the past, where players have been signed, and the manager's like, "No idea what you're doing here, mate." To be honest, I didn't want you. Um, and then the owner's like, "Well, you're gonna have to play him because I bought him, but I don't want to play him." And, and you end up in that situation. Now, maybe there has been some kind of conversation with Thomas Tuchel, and Thomas Tuchel's kind of like, "Well, you know, if you can get him, then yeah, great." Um, you know, and 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 they're going to work with it. But yeah, it's um when you get an owner who gets a little bit sort of um a bit a bit you know crazy and starts thinking that they're fantasy manager and stuff. Um, it doesn't usually end well. No, I, I think you're I right. Think. And actually, I'd be really keen to hear from any Chelsea fans if you are listening to the podcast. Get in touch with us at FSD Pod on Twitter. Are you concerned at all about this gung-ho approach from your new owner, Todd Bowley, who seems to be just pulling all the strings when it comes to these transfer moves? Whereas, you know, in the past, we're used to Chelsea having a structure in place of people behind the scenes. And you often get that at Premier League clubs now where you have recruitment departments. I'm sure Chelsea still do, but it looks like the final word is going down to the new owner. So many names linked with Chelsea. I mean, Joel mentioned Jules Koundé, forgot about him. Benjamin Sheshko is a, a young um, attacker at the moment who is attracting a lot of attention. Chelsea are even linked with Ronaldo at one point in this transfer window. Um, it seems like any player that's possibly available for transfer, Chelsea will be linked with. Uh, I really am interested to see how they get on this season in the Premier League. And that season does kick off in two days' time on Friday. Crystal Palace against Arsenal, the first game of the season. Certainly we'll be talking about that on Friday. And on Sunday, we will be back with our first review show of the season. Looking back at all of the things that happened on the opening weekend of the Top Flight campaign and from them, from then back to normal service resume seven days a week. So make sure you hit subscribe and you won't miss it. So that's it from myself, Ian and Joel. Whatever you're up to for the next couple of days, enjoy it. And we'll see you again on Friday. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.